Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time uh, on JM in the AM for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning to you. Good air Shabbos. Appreciate that. It's you know, it's, yeah. For us, it's an interesting anniversary because this spot we we used to speak often and very much appreciated uh, on this show. But 19 years ago, uh, when this happened, and the uh, enemy decided to uh, uh, to murder thousands of our fellow Americans, uh, you and I decided that we would do this literally on a weekly basis to keep track and, and help the listeners keep track of all the news items that were going on whether it had to do with Islamic fundamentalism, with terrorism, with, with everything that the world was thrown into on that day. So for us, a, uh, you know, a little bit of an uh, infamous anniversary, but in fact, it was 19 years ago, almost literally today, uh, that we started this segment on a weekly basis on Friday mornings. And as I pointed out, tonight is in fact the yard side on the Jewish calendar, because we do have brothers and sisters from our community who perished that day. Uh, tonight is the yard side on the Jewish calendar, the 23rd of Elul, 19 years later, it, for for many, and I, I debated this with myself at the beginning of the show this morning on the air, for many it seems like yesterday, and for many it seems like, wow, so long ago, and I'm sure you feel a little mixture of both, right? I do feel both, and, and it's true that uh, we started doing this Friday segment, but we had been doing it already for several years before that. Right. Um, so people who feel like uh, they've been listening to us for decades, it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but and for for many of those uh, prior sessions, we warned about a lot of these things, and yeah. you know people don't necessarily want to hear it. And I know that sometimes they they say, well, it's it, they don't want to hear the bad news, they don't want to hear it. But if you don't face reality, and if people don't use this occasion again to reflect on uh, how dangerous the situation is today with the, the, you know, the number of arrests and trials that go on against Islamist terrorists here in the United States still gets very little attention. The infrastructure that they built gets very little legal attention. The uh, influx of, of funds or the uh, organizing and you know individual cases then get, get reported. But the danger still exists, and it's it's here. It's in the United States. It's around the world. Uh, we we somehow reflect on it more with the trial now of uh, Mrs. Halimi's killer and the fact that he's getting off because of some ridiculous French court ruling that he he was under the influence of of drugs or something. When he has a long history of these anti-Semitic harassment of Mrs. Halimi, and you have the. Um, the anniversary of the Charlie Hebdo and the Kasher right. uh, place to, today, and the um, uh, this weekend the trial. I mean, the trial beginning uh, this week of the of the murderers. So people should not become complacent. It's important to remember. We should have to 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 take the time today to recall all of those who were nifter and you know there there were I think according to count eight hundred Jews wow. even though there were all sorts of rumors that the Jews got advance notice and yeah, they were out and that those conspiracy theories by the way still hold we still yep. we still see it and uh, I don't know if you saw I mean how perverse some of our enemies are I- Iran is order is is organizing. Uh, because of the Charlie Hebdo publication reproducing the uh, cartoons that they considered an insult to Muhammad, um, they're organizing another Holocaust cartoon exhibit. And they're inviting people from all over the world to submit. And, I mean, that's the way that they that they take revenge on what this magazine, which has nothing to do with the Jewish community or, or the Holocaust, 
um, at all. And the you know the dangers that are there as we as we come to Rosh Hashanah, we have a lot to think about. Obviously, the the Corona takes the first precedence, but there's so many serious challenges. And you know we see the anti-Semitism even though there are no campuses, uh, many campuses are closed. We see the plans on the BDS front here at home. We see the the military exercises that are going on with Russia, China joining Russia in exercises in Russia with Pakistan and Armenia and a bunch of countries. You have the Iranians doing new naval uh, exercises. You have joint ones of of countries in in the Gulf and elsewhere. It's you know it's a very challenging time, and that's why it's important that people stay on top of everything right now to register and then to vote and make their voices heard if they really care about what the future will be. In the aftermath of 9-11, 19 years ago today, you know that um, uh, America took an even more keen interest in uh, uh, in what was going on in the Middle East. I'm not just talking about Israel and its neighbors, but in general, the terror groups that had been uh, formed and had been, had been ensconced in some cases uh, in some of the countries in the Middle East. And um, and uh, actions in Iraq, actions in Afghanistan, some of them can directly be tied to 9-11. Others may say there is a relationship with what happened because 9-11 had happened a couple of years earlier, etc., etc. This week, on this anniversary week, we learn of troop reduction from places like Afghanistan and Iraq. What is your reaction to that? So the the concern here, I understand why we want to withdraw our troops from a lot of places and and lower them in Europe and the, in the Gulf, etc. Um, but we we have to look at what uh, the competition is doing, what those who who want to undermine America. And you know, there's a, a formula they say that China's involvement grows as America's involvement decreases. We see them involved, though they do it quietly, they don't do it with fanfare, but they have ships engaging in military exercises with the with the Iranians. We see Russia expanding its influence all over the region, and it's, it's uh, growing, and not only their military exercises, but they have uh, a presence. They're involved in Libya, they're involved in Syria, they're involved in places where they are trying to drive America out. It's the one thing that unites Iran, Turkey, and, and Russia in Syria. And so the perception of an American withdrawal, but America has been engaged of late. We see the celebration that will take place this week, the deal that was arrived at. Uh, but the, the perception, and it's true in the region, that America's um, image, that America's presence has, has somewhat been diminished. Uh, this is does not from now. I'm talking about going back right. for 10, 12 years. Uh, it, it is dangerous because the, the circumstances really are are pivotal for American security and the interest of our allies. Um, and the and and the Iranians proclaim that America is now in in the, the range of their new uh, missiles, and they threaten us with through their militias in in Iraq. And the answer there is not to withdraw that if we don't have a presence at a time when there are people in Iraq who are trying to resist the Iranian dominance, uh, it's more important for us to, to show that we're committed and we have a presence. 
uh, and we do that in many ways, but I think it's, it's, it's so critical because perception drives what countries will do. It's so, not even the reality. So it's when, the perception of reality. So whenever there's a lull or a, a vacuum, even if it's just a perception of a lull or a vacuum, China or Russia or Iran, someone's willing to go ahead and, and fill that void, so to speak. So your message to Washington, in all seriousness, especially for those who, who think it's not such a bad idea that President Trump has you know, spoken this way, unlike most of the recent presidents, frankly, over the last few decades, uh, in the way he speaks about troop reduction, your message to him would be, if you feel it's a, you know, it may be a great idea to do this, but you must be forewarned that what? Like, what would you communicate to him in terms of what the U.S. must be aware of and really, uh, you know, in tune with before they make a move like this? That you have to look at the total picture. And this didn't begin with uh, President uh, Trump. Um, I think the impression was even greater during the Obama years and the earlier years that America was withdrawing from its international commitments, uh, and it's a, there was a reality behind it. Um, and th- this is true now too in terms of seeing that the our adversaries look look what Turkey is doing to exploit every one of these uh, circumstances and expanding and becoming a second Iran in terms of it being the leader of the extremists in, uh, uh, on the Sunni side and Iran on the on the Shiite side. And the, the competition, which is only, as I said, the only thing that brings them together is in fighting America. But, you know, Erdogan very proudly proclaims himself as the leader of the Muslim world. Look, you know that on Friday at the prayers at Alaska Mosque, they hold up pictures of Erdogan. Wow. And he, he paid for the gold crescent a new gleaming gold crescent on the top of the Dome in Iraq that was paid for by Turkey, and he pays for the demonstrations of Al-Aqsa and, and his embrace of Hamas, giving them passports, giving them uh, funding hospitals in Gaza and other projects. Um, but he's trying to, to you know, embrace it and, and to raise his profile and his role. I mean, he's an Islamist. He's a Muslim Brotherhood. He sees them as an expression of that. But he, he's the leader, and he's building mosques all over the world. He, he's doing uh, uh, many things that, and and all of these guys take advantage of any vacuum or any opportunity. America can't be a policeman for the whole world. We can't do right, everything. but 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 as the world keeps getting smaller and smaller, it sounds like people who are aware of all this, like yourself, would encourage the United States to to play that role of policeman. Well, we are. We we just imposed new sanctions on Hezbollah's financiers or enablers in Lebanon. We have put very strong uh, sanctions on Iran, which I think I support fully and I think is very important. Um, we we are working with the countries in the Gulf, which has helped bring about what I think is a really remarkable achievement um, and that will be marked at the White House on, on Tuesday. Um, I mean, it isn't as if there isn't, and the Secretary of State Pompeo has been a steady presence in a lot of these areas, um, you know, we, we we face formidable foes in the fact that, that the coronavirus and its, um, you know, it, the imposition to this place on us um, are uh, are very serious. And, and uh, but, you know, we see the IEA revealing that, that Iran's uranium stockpile is 10 times over the limit set by the nuclear deal. 
and they, they're getting access to some of the sites now. But America's put a lot of pressure on them. Right. And the, you know, it's not only military pressure that works. Um, you see that sometimes it's necessary what Israel is doing in Syria, eliminating some of the uh, Iranian arms and the transshipment uh, of arms. And Iran proclaims, you know, America is now within the range of our bombs and our missiles. America faces um, multiple challenges, the, the area in China, the Asian um, battles. There are just so many fronts, and the Europeans shirk all their responsibilities generally. We see Macron getting involved in Lebanon, but doing, making some mistakes, and, um, and most of the rest of them really just sitting on the sidelines and not protecting themselves, and they're not... Uh, um, protecting their people. I just wonder if the right-wing pacifists, I'm talking about the journalists and the you know the commentators, the analysts, forget about... The right-wing? Yeah, forget about the politicians. I, I don't mean... I'm not talking about extreme right-wing. I'm talking about those who are on the you know right side of the aisle, so to speak. Um, and, and forget about the ones who are actually government officials for a moment because they they have different agendas. But I just wonder if they if, if those who, uh, you know, who champion the cause of leaving Afghanistan, Iraq, etc., you know, I, I wonder how they would react to this. What would they say when you're describing to them that Turkey's taking over everything and doing so in a really clever way, the way you just described it, frankly? I mean, finances is always a really good route to go when you're trying to win people over, right? And uh, they have no budget. They have no money. Their economy is is devastated. Their currency is devastated, like Iran. So money isn't necessarily the issue. And they, they deprive their people, as the Iranians do, uh, right. of what they need in order to serve these their megalomaniac goals. Uh, they One sees himself as the leader of the Ottoman Empire, and the other is the Persian Empire, and they're trying to, each one tries to, to resurrect it. Uh, and you see the consequences. Look what's happened in Beirut. You had another fire in the port. Actually, you had two in recent, uh, in the last week. Um, but the devastation, they can't come back from it. The, the country is in a very delicate and, and desperate situation, uh, and yet Hezbollah continues to, to dominate and takes advantage of, of each situation. Um, the, the same thing, and you can go country by country and look at each of these situations, which uh, I, you know I do sometimes on the on the shows that that to try to get people to understand what what. What is at stake? And, you know, when, when we talk about the Straits of Hormuz and the Chinese building bases there, the, the Iranians doing the, their exercises and harassing ships, 40% of the oil coming to the West goes through the Straits of Hormuz. It's not unimportant to to And Russia takes advantage of each situation, whether they, they do it in, in taking over territory or threatening uh, others. And the the um, all of our those who would challenge us and who want to diminish the American role uh, do the same. So while I understand the limitations, it's a question of assertion of policy and of uh, leaving no doubt in the minds of of our enemies where we stand. I think in that regard, the administration has done tried to do that. But you know, people look at what's what's on the ground, and this is a. Um, you know, we have a multiplicity of challenges that are, are very serious. And the truth is that, that China really, you know, uh, uh, even more than the examples you gave, just, just the way they dealt with Hong Kong, you know, and I know there's a jurisdiction there and it makes it a lot easier for them to, to handle things the way they want. Uh, but just that was an indication to the world of what their intention is and what they ideally like to be, frankly. 
you know, and 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 uh, and if they could could duplicate that type of activity in other places with the void that you're describing that they could fill in the Middle East and other places, then I mean that influence could be endless from China. Because they do it quietly, because they're not looking for show, they're looking for facts. They want results. The they want results. We they want, they, and but they're getting it and right. they're doing it and they've right. they've interfered in our country. They've interfered in other countries. They the um, you know they have technological abilities and the money. Obviously, if they whatever they need, they'll get because uh, people can suffer as well there. And and as long as the government achieves its goals, uh, it, first goal was you know energy. Uh, and that's why they made this deal with Iran. They make the deal with others. They also have the Belt and Road, which is creating hubs across from China all the way across to Europe, uh, which will is not just simply an economic plan. It's a political plan. It's it's a chance for them to to assert themselves. And you see their growing uh, presence in in other areas. Uh, and you know, people think that it's a localized uh, challenge between China, Taiwan, uh, in the seas, and and but ask the Philippines, ask others mm-hmm. what their concern is about about Chinese involvement, Chinese involvement in in Africa. And by the way, Turkey also building bases in Africa. Iran is in Africa. Um, the, the, you know, and there's all these attempts to to radicalize the Muslim populations and convert people to Islam, but radical Islam. Boy, the, boy, the uh, the Netanyahu outreach to Africa may may prove to be a lot more beneficial than we thought it would be. It's very important, and you know, Malawi announced this week that they would open an embassy in Jerusalem. Chad said they were going to follow. Wow. Um, they would be the first countries in Africa to have embassies in Jerusalem. Uh, Kosovo and Serbia, obviously, is not clear exactly what the decision what the agreement was but they signed an agreement in washington and in that agreement and again to the credit administration was a commitment to move their embassy to jerusalem uh, but i don't think that we're going to see that immediately um but the but you're right in in the situation in africa and while people again don't look at those situations and don't necessarily look at asia look at uh, south america other places where you have uh, Venezuela being supported both by Turkey and mostly by Iran. Um, and we just seized the ship and it was brought to the United States that of oil that was being sent by Iran to to Venezuela in violation of the of the sanction dual violations on the Iranian side and the Venezuelan side. Um, Egypt, by the way, this week you saw they arrested the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a very important move on their part, but they're still being challenged, and so are most of the other countries. And, you know, the Arab League this week remarkably rejected the PA complaint against the UAE for the relationship. We see the changes in the Arab world because they're looking at the very realities we're discussing. And saying, and not you know very, what we got to, we got to face this this new situation. And just think of how short a time ago they would have sided with the the PA on that. Well, as you know, I visited this region for the last twenty years. I believe that along that there were opportunities, and on on the ceremony on Tuesday at the White House, uh, it's the first peace agreement in twenty six years. But it, but look at the remarkable nature of this peace treaty, as opposed even to the Jordanian. And Egyptians, which is really treaties between governments, not the people. Here, you have widespread support amongst the people. I mean, 80 percent of Emiratis um, uh, supported, and even though the vast majority of people there are not Emiratis, they're foreign workers and others. Um, but the, you know that they issued an order in Abu Dhabi on yesterday 
and which sent me in the middle of the night, and it was remarkable that they every hotel in Abu Dhabi has to have kosher products on their room service menu designated. <laughs> they have to part of every kitchen has yeah. to be made kosher with supervision. And the OU is now going in, and it's going to be the official supervisors. But, you know, last year I brought a large group to, to the UAE. We had this kosher program. We brought a mashkiach from uh, South Africa, and this time this year in, in Saudi Arabia, where we had kosher, glad kosher food the whole week. The government and all of that we set up working with the locals, uh, Ross Creel and others, uh, in the community who set up a kosher catering. Now there's a restaurant in, in Dubai, kosher restaurant. There's going to be more. Now I can go, Malcolm. You know my greatest... 100 people signed up for Pesach programs, and there are no Pesach programs yet. <laughs> you know my greatest fear of traveling. I won't have anything to eat. So now I can go to the UAE. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world of web at com on the Nahum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Um, I, I know it's it, it's sort of silly because we should be, I mean, I should be celebrating, like everybody else, this agreement, and, of course, I do, but the way you describe it in the 80% statistic, why, how would you explain why it took this long to get to this point? Like, why wasn't this done, I don't know, five or six or ten years ago? Well, because the countries had to come to the realization the Palestinians have managed to alienate everybody because they see the corruption. They say, we give them billions of dollars. It ends up in the pockets of the leaders. There's never resolution. Their refusal to participate in any of the negotiations to really be forthcoming, to take advantage of the opportunities, whether it leads to an agreement or not. They're saying, look, you know, uh, and leaders in the Arab world have told me, if you ask my people today what's the top 10 issues, 20 issues, 30 issues, they won't make it. The Palestinian issue won't make it. Right. It is an obstacle, as you see with Saudi Arabia. They right. say, you know, we can't uh, have official recognition until this issue is resolved. I know Morocco, others, um, because of the domestic situations and others, that, they, that this is a stumbling block. But it's not anymore that they're carrying the banner and they have the sympathy for the regime, maybe for the people. But that's one. The real driving force is Iran. Iran has driven them all together and the absence of the West. And they're saying, who can we turn to? And it turns out that the country they say was destabilizing, was a danger, turns out to be the stabilizing country. And we know that goes through Gilgul and it goes through changes. You know, this week they unveiled the pipeline, it became the center of attention, public attention, a pipeline that was built by Israel and Iran in a joint project from Ashkelon to, to Eilat, where they used to take oil, or continue to, because super tankers can go there, uh, and that can't go through the Suez Canal, it's also cheaper, and they, this pipeline, it's 151 miles, goes and takes the, the oil to Eilat, but it also, unlike uh, other pipelines, it goes back too, so you could ship both ways, so uh, oil coming from the, coming to Europe can go to the Red Sea port and then get shipped to to the Mediterranean, uh, which saves time and 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 uh, money. So, but now it's going to be made public. So you see that Israel and Iran were working together. Iran then came under these extremist influences and and the revolution after the Shah, etc. And, and now because of the UAE deal. It opens up all, all sorts of new po- possibilities. 
And so countries said, look who, who's got all the, these advantages of, they all talk about the high tech, the startup nation, the remarkable achievements, whether it's water self-sufficiency, agricultural sufficiency, post-harvest reclamation. I mean, you can go through the whole list of things where Israel has pioneered, and all of those are things that they need. And quietly, quietly, these things have been growing. I mean, Israeli businessmen going to the UAE for for a long period, uh, even to some of the other countries, which I won't mention specifically, but there's much more going on than people know. So there came this slow realization that, you know, our future, we can't rely on the West, we can't rely on outside parties. There's one here who's they said to me in this language uh, that we can run on against the enemy, and the enemy is Iran. Right. And they are working, and there are many more clandestine things that go on in which they cooperate, but uh, you, you will still soon see joint exercises. You will see other things that, that will take place. Bottom line, our future is with Israel. That's what they're saying. Our future is with Israel. Anybody who doesn't see it today, after when you see the situation in New York and uh, the detestable conditions that have been created, and um, uh, in don't other forget, parts of the United States, don't forget Portland, Seattle, Atlanta, Chicago, and many others. I say across yep. the United States, yep. and the you know you you certainly you see the numbers of people applying for Aliyah or wanting to go to Israel are are going up. And now people who are not even from the Jewish community are saying our future is with Israel, which is amazing. Uh, the only way we'll be protected, the only way we'll be able to advance in the, in the Gulf region is with Israel at our side, with Israel as a partner. Um, so the uh, one of the th- – and you may tell me that this is, you know, that, that there's absolutely no truth to this, but I would assume that because the prime minister has to leave the country because of Tuesday's Ceremony that's going to put him between a rock and a hard place because Israel, unfortunately, is going through such a devastating period now, and we in the New York area know what a devastating period is when it comes to COVID, uh, that it's probably bad optics to see him leave the country, or it's such a big deal and treaty, uh, you know, at the White House that it's irrelevant that he has to go. Which one is it? Uh, no, I think the former is true, that it, it was debated, it was... You know, there were people who raised questions about it, asking if I get off to be quarantined here for 14 days before, but home. But he's flying in a, in a private plane uh, as opposed to the rest of the um, team who are going in another plane. Um, they they uh, obviously they have to protect the, the prime minister from the dangers. I hope at the ceremony, uh, which I'll probably attend, though I'm not 100 percent certain yet what what we're going to do. Um, uh, you know, that they will take proper precautions there because, you know, generally White House ceremonies, you see that people don't wear masks and right. other things. But you have three important delegations coming. Um, I, I think it's it's being properly marked. It is a celebration. It is something to commemorate and to encourage others. I hope other leaders will come, though I think, again, Corona is going to interfere with a lot of people's plans and and people are hesitant to to go to any kind of gathering of this kind which has some legitimacy but the um uh, but the prime minister is in a very difficult circumstance you see the demonstrations against him uh, blaming him for covid the covid 4000 cases yesterday more over 4000 uh, that the death toll continues to rise um but 10% positivity rate which is which you know we know is is tremendous. Yeah, in New York, it's less than one yeah. percent, and 
and they've done, they've done well with that here. But the the you know, but people shouldn't take for granted they got to wear masks. I, I know there are a lot in the community who don't. It's a mistake, and a, a mistake for which we can pay prices uh, later. I've seen some of the unfortunate um, calls we get about emergency cases still. Yeah. And I, I think people are, you know, often lapse into taking things for granted. There will be a shutdown in Israel starting when Russia shut up for two weeks. That's a definite? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that means people won't be in trouble, Russia shut that likely could mean people won't go to show. I'm sure they will, others will violate it. I'm sure others will find, you know, some, I'm sure there'll be some accommodation. But, yes, it's going to be a, a complete clampdown. They need to do it. You have to take control of the situation. Wow. Um, have you made a 100% decision to be there in Washington, or you're still deciding? No, I'm still deciding. And... Um and I know there was an issue also that members of the prime minister's family are traveling to America with that other plane, I would assume, right? No, with him. Oh, with him. And that was an issue because, people, again, there's the optics. It doesn't look great that people no, are... No, it's the optics of, you know, in Israel, everything gets exploited and everything gets uh, becomes right. politicized. So why is it like this? I've spoken to people in Israel in the last 24 hours, and here's what I heard. I heard Haredim. I heard Arabs. I heard people in Tel Aviv don't take it serious. I've heard every theory of who's the, of the schools, the the protests. I've heard every theory. Weddings. Weddings. I've heard every theory of what... Why they're is, all right. They're all right. They are all right. So people, everything and the experts that I've spoken to in Israel and people, these are all contributing factors, as it's been true here. Look, a lot of the the outbreaks in our community came from people who went to weddings and others. But why? Had, but but Texas, Texas opened early and it settled down, and Georgia opened early and settled down. Arizona yeah, but they opened keep down. having resurgences again. Florida, Texas, others. You look at the pattern around the country; it's almost unpredictable. And and yet they say this is not the second or third wave that that they've been predicting that that could still come, and especially combined with the flu season. So everybody should go now get a flu shot if, yeah. after they ask their doctors. But they, sh- you know, we got to protect people because that double whammy could be very bad. I mean, this thing with Russia Shana. I mean. I'm assuming there's still meetings between now and next Friday that'll happen, you know, in the Knesset. I mean, certain groups may go nuts that 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 you know there'll be a complete lockdown for your annual kipper. Well, originally there were discussions that there would be exemptions and that shuls, but you know, the Gary Rebbe closed his base medrash for Rosh Hashanah. Thirty thousand people come to it. There are others. The Great Synagogue in Jerusalem is closed for Rosh Hashanah. People have small minyanim and like like we have here. And outdoors and tents and other, you know, locations. Yeah, but, it, wow. But, but I don't know. Honestly, I don't know whether, how, how the authorities will deal with uh, the circumstances. But clearly, it's because Nefesh, there's a no, I get no it. doubt yeah. today. That I get it. I'm just shocked people will go along with it. That's the shock. Uh, they won't. You know, they won't in, in certain places. And it's true here. It's true there. And, and that's a mistake. You know, people think that because they had it that they can't. Give it to others. It's not true. And, you know, they wear masks to protect themselves, so you wear masks to protect others, or both. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have to do what we can because it can come back, and we see a resurgence. It happens fast. It's like uh, these fires. It can ravage communities very quickly. Two more points on the UAE thing. Um, Saudi Arabia has basically given Israel carte blanche at this point. Like, Israel just has... Uh, Overflight. And that's it. And, and that's anything, not just UAE flights, right? I mean, I assume that if they're flying anywhere? Well, Israel, it, it, it means that flights to the UAE, I think, are three and a half hours now. Yeah. 
that flights, they can also fly over Bahrain. Right now it was going to the UAE, but the, the UAE could be a waypoint for them then to fly to the Far East because usually they had to fly all the way around. Right. This way it can fly direct. So but flying it over... It will make the trips much shorter. And I think that... I, I, I didn't see that they are restricting it. I think they said there could be flights, which means mean the flights going... Right. That Israel, that El Al could fly directly to the Far East, right. which would make Israel a hub, and Israel and the UAE could share, and then also direct from Israel to the Far East. Did the Prime Minister of Israel have to approve of the U.S. arms sale to the UAE? I, I don't. I really don't know. Um, is it possible? You know, there was disputes. Is in, it a believable report that he has to approve it, or that? It was inclu- that it, it, it. I don't think it's part of the deal. I do think that there was some understanding. Um, Israel still objects to the sale, but you know, it, it, the first planes I don't think are delivered till 2028 or right. something like that. And uh, the U.S. said that they will guarantee the qualitative edge, but we don't know who Israel has to look at ahead. Who they don't know who the president will be or what will be, how that will be fulfilled. So. It, it's concerned because it's not because the UE having it now. It's what happens if there's a change in government. What happens? Right. You know, the radicals take over. We learned the lesson from Iran in '79. Yep. So that is the concern that they raise. Uh, if you were a member of the Norwegian government, would you recommend a Nobel Peace Prize for President Trump because of the UAE deal? Look, I just think it's too late. I think that the, the prize is announced in in less than two weeks. So I don't think that that. And so I don't it was, think it was that just they, and knowing and knowing the Danes and and the Scandinavians generally, I don't think they would be inclined to do anything that would honor uh, President Trump or recognize. Uh, so one member of Parliament just wanted to get into the newspaper. <laughs> well, people, I mean, people thought that the three countries should should get it like they did with the um, when Rabin and Arafat right. and all this got the Peace Prize. Um, you know, the, the conditions for it are not always clear. Right. Um, so. But you knowing the mentality and the, the the activities, we see the rise of anti-Semitism in these countries in Sweden, Denmark. That now Denmark this week is considering legislation that will ban uh, all brismila, all circumcision for non-health-related things, meaning for religious purposes, and it's going to pass the parliament, even though the, the prime minister and others object to it. Uh, they have the vote to pass it. And we know that, uh, you know, the bans on Shkita, which are, are still being uh, circulated around, the bans on, on Brismila are usually the indicators. And the countries that always purport themselves, you know, to be so moral. Sure. The fact is anti-Semitism <laughs> is rampant, that we, we see them doing very little to counter it. And the rise of extremist uh, groups in those countries, as we've seen here in our own country, are really scary. Finally, Malcolm, the whole budget issue, which I thought was supposed to dissolve the Israeli government, what they do? They just uh, they just de- delayed it. They can down the road. For so they put they, days. so they push the deadline, and they just keep, days and until we hear otherwise, they'll keep pushing it. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they say you know who knows we'll be in a hundred days. You know, we, we could be uh, find, find another great reservoir of gold and silver, and it will solve our economic problems <laughs> or something else. Or our Felix and Russia Shana will really be accepted in Israel, but. You know, it's it's the political situation is still very unstable. The coalition, I, I don't think anybody would would place bets on how long it will last. 
Um, the fact pay- is that they got past this because the Israeli people did not want a fourth election right. in in uh, you know a short period of time, a year and a half. The opinion piece that from the Jerusalem Post that says that Netanyahu against government is a failure, pure and simple. I, I think everyone's starting to agree with that. I mean, just it, it, lo- it looks ridiculous already. And you're right, by the way, that that this whole issue of not bringing them to a fourth election, as long as they keep delaying this thing, they'll get to a point where it doesn't seem like the fourth anymore. It'll seem like the first in the next round. Yeah, and, and you know, with the, the trial starting for Netanyahu coming up, there, there are, uh, you know, the, uh, there are a lot of other circumstances that they, that they people have to look at to, um, to determine. And, and, they, and, of course, what they look at is the polls. So there's no incentive for some of the others to go to it because they see that even if there's a lot of anti-BB feeling, the right is likely to have, again, control, so they, they gain nothing from uh, politically. Yeshatid um, is the strongest opposition. Bennett is the big beneficiary, yeah. the MENA party. He's all over uh, the place now. Uh, getting, uh, gaining in numbers, but uh, I, don't, I don't know whether people, when they really go to the polls, will do that. BB has managed to pull it off. We'll have to see how long he can to extend this. The demonstrations, you know, continue unabated. But you know, even that, it's, his numbers and polls still amongst his followers is still strong. All right, Malcolm. Next week, our final weekly update of the year. And if you're in Washington this coming week, you'll have a full report for us about the ceremony. Even though I'm not there, I'll get you a full report. There you but go. Uh, God willing, <laughs> but uh, we will uh, we will get together and. Mitzvah be able to end the year with happy news and, and good reports. Please, God, have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for good joining Shabbos. us. Thank Malcolm you. Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the 